Hello and welcome back. This is Girl Mode. This is the second episode of our podcast from Two Cool Trans Gamer Girls. I am one of your hosts, Willa Rowe. Uh, and I'm your other host, Robin B. So it's, you know, the end of October, getting towards Halloween, at least at the time of recording. <laughs> and we thought that this would be a good time to talk about some spooky games, some horror games, both ones that we love, the genre itself, and some news that's been happening uh, about classic survival horror in the past few weeks. Mm-hmm. So thanks for uh, thanks for coming and joining with us. So let's get into it. Yeah. And if horror isn't your thing, don't worry, we have you covered because I am an absolute coward. So we'll have that perspective covered as well. I mean, I think that's actually a funny place to start because let's let's talk about our relationships with horror in general and how we deal with it. So you are not a big horror person then, I assume? Yeah, no, I have our time with it. Uh, it's it's I'm 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 a chicken and if I you know, engage with the the horror genre in basically any way, it kind of ruins my day <laughs> to some extent <laughs> let's what's your relationship with horror first so weirdly enough i feel like i would never identify identify myself as like a big horror person typically like mm. i don't think of myself as someone who loves horror i do get scared pretty easily um like i don't watch a lot of horror movies or anything because uh, i find that they they easily keep me up at night and I just don't like it because the second I start thinking about something I saw in a horror movie, it will make it so that I will not sleep. Yes. Um, but oddly enough, I actually have played like a lot of horror games and I, and I actually really like horror games. It's one of those genres where despite the fact that it's, it does scare me a lot. And there have been a lot of times that I've had to like put games down and like come back to them a few hours later because they so utterly scared me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I still play them and I like them because I think there's something about good horror games that I think of. And we can get into this when we talk about certain certain things later on, certain franchises. Uh, a lot of horror games are really just puzzle games Hmm. that happen to be spooky and i love puzzle games so that's kind yeah, of yeah i guess that's true i never thought about it that way yeah i actually find horror games to be more way more stressful than horror movies cuz in in some sense like horror movies you can treat them like roller coasters where it's just like this this thing's just going to keep going until the end and then that's all there is to it but in a horror game it's it i don't know it feels like it's more directly happening to you and there is the tension of like trying to avoid the bad things from happening. Uh, whereas in a horror movie, you're kind of like, well, they're going to happen. Like I can choose to look or not. But in a horror game, it's like I could just stop playing and then they won't have happened. Yeah, I think it's it's like that idea of the horror like trope of when you watch a movie and you're like, don't go down into the basement. You're so stupid. Yes. But when you're playing a horror game, you have to force yourself to do it you have to go into the basement or like there are moments when I'll be like standing in front of like a door in a horror game and I'm like I know the second I open this door 
something bad is going to happen. And I just need to emotionally and mentally prepare before I make this conscientious choice on my own part to put myself through this. Yeah, I think that's what gets to me is I don't I don't have the nerve to put myself through it. I just put myself through playing a different game instead. There is definitely something about like being chased in a horror game or like being confronted by like monsters that is especially scary. Yeah. I think it's always the moments that lead up to that that get me the most. Like when you, when the atmosphere, yeah, like the atmosphere starts to change and you're like, okay, something's probably going to happen here. I find that like unbearable a lot of the time. So news wise, what has like, there's been a resurgence in horror games, like in the past couple months, especially the past week or two. And it's like the year, it's going to be like the year of survival horror again. Because Konami announced that they're like bringing back Silent Hill in like a big way. They're they're making like a, an entirely new game called Silent Hill F. They're doing a project called Silent Hill Townfall, which is going to be a smaller game. And then they're also remaking Silent Hill 2, which is like one of the best you know horror games ever made. And then. The day after that announcement, Capcom was like, here's our Resident Evil showcase where we're going to be talking about Resident Evil 4 Remake, which is like also one of, you know, the best horror games. And then on top of that, there's also going to be a Dead Space Remake coming out. And then the Callisto Protocol from the people who make who made the original Dead Space. So something is in the air in the industry and everybody's like now is the time to go back to survival horror yeah that is that is interesting that these are all hitting at once i wonder what that is it feels like honestly like it's riding a remake wave more than a horror wave like there have been a lot of classic games remade the past few years I, i wonder if this is just kind of like it was horror games turn you know you know, I assume you haven't played many of these. Have you? Do you have any relationships with any of these like franchises, specifically like Resident Evil or Silent Hill? Yeah, a little bit. Um, so Silent Hill is actually the only game I can ever remember my parents not allowing me to get. Um, I think my, I'm, I don't know, my mom must have seen like a TV commercial or like a magazine ad or something, and it just looked really freaky. Um, and I remember, like, we went to, you know, she drove me to GameStop one time when I was, like, a kid. And there was, like, a poster for the game. And she, I, I didn't even say anything about it. Like, even back then, I didn't really like horror. So it was not kind of my thing. But I just remember her pointing to the poster and going, like, you're not, you're not getting that game. <laughs> and, like, something must have freaked her out about it. <laughs> I have more of a relationship with Resident Evil, which um, I actually played Resident Evil 4 and, and really enjoyed it. It definitely, like, there were points of it that kind of tripped my, you know, uh, dislike, or not dislike, but, like, my sort of inability to handle the genre, but I did really enjoy it. Uh, other than that, though, the I only played the, the only other Resident Evil game I played was the original, which I actually also really enjoyed. I played it when it was, like, a new game, and I, I have actually a very vivid memory of that game, which was, um, I was staying the night at my cousin's house and we were so we were playing resident evil on his playstation 
during a thunderstorm in the middle of the night. So it's already like the spookiest possible environment. And at one point, the lightning struck and knocked out the power. So we were playing this like very scary game and then all of the lights in the house went out. And it was honestly might be why I can't play horror games to this day. Like it was so terrifying that it was just like, that, that tension of, of fictional horror carried over into the real world. And I, yeah, I absolutely lost my mind. But other than those, I, I don't have too much of a relationship to these, these games, these series, other than just sort of knowing them by reputation. Um, but what about you? So I, mostly it's with Resident Evil. And I think the reason that I like Resident Evil a lot specifically has to do with like the earlier entries in the franchise because Resident Evil 1 like at its core it can be described as like a zombie horror game yeah but the thing that I really like about it is that it's also just a puzzle game it takes place in this like one mansion which is a really cool just like setting itself Mm -hmm. And the game really is like the main obstacle in front of you in Resident Evil isn't really the zombies. It's progressing through the mansion, which has like locked off doors and weird puzzles or the need to collect keys. It's about, you know, having to figure out how you can move through the house to escape. The zombies are just like an environmental you know, obstacle, but that's never really what was like the main goal for me. It was about the puzzles and I, I really like puzzle games. And so that was something that I really enjoyed was being presented with these like weird, like locks, which would never exist in real life, which is one of the super fun things. Cause it's like, you need to, you know, like make sure this suit of armor is in the right position or you need to collect these random three statues and put them in their places to unlock the like secret door to to this room that you didn't know existed. Yeah, you don't lock your apartment with <laughs> multicolored marbles that you have to slot into place. Maybe I should. I feel like I <laughs> I feel like that would be a problem though. I'd probably lock myself out a lot more. Oh, yeah. And it's really, I mean, as hard as it is to get a locksmith, finding someone to replace those marbles, that's going to be a nightmare. That's just an expense I can't afford. And that's what I liked about Resident Evil. And the same goes for Resident Evil 2, um, which kind of like amps it up even more with the police station, which is Mm -hmm. like bigger and better. And Resident Evil 2 Remake, which... Weirdly enough, I would argue is one of the games that started the remake trend Mm -hmm. is like one of my favorite games because it so expertly like uses the police station to allow the player to like explore openly this one setting and just have these puzzles that you have to solve to make your way through. And that's why I really liked Resident Evil. But beyond that, I never really got into like this later horror trend of just like the the ones where it would be like there's somebody chasing you or you just have to like make your way through like a terrifying like asylum or something like the amnesias or the um yeah oh i can't remember the one game but there was like that 
there was a trend in like I want to say the two, like the early 2010s where horror was less about like Resident Evil style and it was more about like horror movie scares where it would be like some something would be chasing you and you couldn't do anything and you would have to like hide. Yeah. Like Alien Isolation is kind of that way too. I actually played a little bit of Alien Isolation because as much as I'm not good with horror movies, um, I do like some older horror, like John Carpenter stuff I'm really into. uh, And Alien is one of my favorite movies. So the the like chance of kind of getting to explore that like just those ships and those environments was really exciting um so i played a little bit of that game but within like 10 minutes of the first time the alien shows up i peaced out i was like i i gave it my best i can't do this it's too scary and it's that kind of thing where it's you spend so much time i think i have a weird thing about like you spend so much time kind of hiding from this threat and then if you move at the wrong spot it gets you anyway and you just have to spend all that time hiding again and it's like both like go through that tension again and while simultaneously being bored because you've already done it um so yeah i I definitely those type of games don't really appeal to me too much though aside from soma i did really like soma which is a game in that style although it did get much better Uh, it's a much better game if you turn on the option where the enemies like just don't like can't hurt you anymore because it saves you from that problem i mean yeah i it's there's this thing in resident evil games where they they do start as more traditional survival horror where it feels like it's really hard to be any of the zombies and your best bet is to like run away but the more you play a resident evil game the more the game throws like super overpowered weapons at you and yeah. it's like, here's a literal grenade launcher. And you can just like run through the game with like no problems whatsoever. And it becomes like a completely different like vehicle. And at that point, yeah. it's like, yeah, I don't care about these zombies. They they, they can't touch me. I have a grenade launcher. <laughs> right. What are they going to do? Yeah. I remember seeing the end of Resident Evil 3. And I think it literally is just like, you have to shoot the nemesis with a grenade launcher. It was like I, why, why are we, why is this part of the game? Yeah, I guess I don't know. Maybe there is some release of like, aha, now I'm the one that you should be afraid of, and I'm you know taking the power back or whatever. But it seems like I don't know. That doesn't sound very satisfying to me. Yeah, I mean, in a way, that's kind of why I dropped off the Resident Evil franchise is because it it leans more towards like, or it started leaning more towards action. And I know it's like terrible of me to say, I'm not a huge Resident Evil 4 fan. Oh, I don't think that's terrible. It's just, I know it's very unpopular. I just think it's not as interesting as the the earlier games because it does lean Mm -hmm. more into the action, which then the franchise has like slowly tried to, to meld the two of like, slow survival puzzle horror and action with like the later Mm -hmm. entries like seven and eight but i've just never really gotten back into it since since the really one and two people like it so much that i kind of want to try it out but i also just think it's so much not my thing that i think the chances of me doing any more than appreciating it are probably pretty low 
more recently, though, it seems like you have been enjoying one horror game quite a bit. Yes, um, I have. And I'm very eager to hear about it. Yeah, so this week at the time of recording, a game called Signalis released. And this was a game that I had heard about a few months ago, and it looked really interesting to me. It's this like PlayStation 1 low-poly style survival horror game and they reference like classic resident evil as being one of their biggest inspirations so i was like really intrigued by this game and then i got the chance to review it and i gave it a nine out of (laughs) ten because i saw this game is amazing and like not only as a horror game but just one of my favorite games of the year And I think one of the reasons for that is that it masters the like core elements of horror so well, which for a game for me is about the atmosphere and the tension, because there will be people who argue Signalis isn't like true horror because there's not a lot of jump scares or, you know, big monsters that will chase you. But it is it is creepy as all hell. Um, basically, you are this character named Elster, who's a replica is what they call them. They're basically like androids who have the consciousness of like a human copied onto them as their like base personality. And you crash land on this snowy planet and you're trying to search for your lost partner and that takes you into an underground facility that somehow was ravaged by an unknown disease and now has a bunch of zombie-like creatures. Basically, it sounds exactly like classic Resident Evil. Has item scarcity, it has inventory management, you only get to carry six items at a time, Um, it has manual save points. Um, so anytime you die, you might lose a lot of progress and overall, it's just a really creepy vibe that mostly asks you to explore this facility and unlock puzzles to like get little bits of story. So it's exactly that thing I've like what I found cool about the original Resident Evil games of giving you a fascinating area, letting you explore it with a little bit of danger in your way with like zombie like enemies and then a terrifying atmosphere that mostly plays on the expectation of the player that something bad will happen. Um, And it hits all those notes, but then it does like more than that adds this really cool feature of this radio that you can turn on at any time and there's just signals happening and those will give you clues to puzzles or even help you fight enemies and then the story is really what i think also grips you the story of like elster ends up being slowly doled out in these like documents and cutscenes every once in a while around the world And it's just like a really fascinating game that's really, really gripped me. 
I, so I read your review and it was convincing enough that this morning before recording, I, I downloaded it and started playing it. Um, I happened to just wake up randomly very early this morning. So I got to play it before the sun came up, which I think is a good time to play this game. Um, I didn't get very far into it, but what I've seen so far is pretty incredible. Uh, I, I like can completely believe your assessment that it is one of the best games of the year. I, I don't know that I'll be able to finish it, but I, I certainly want to spend more time with it. Um, yeah, I was just immediately very taken with it. Like, It does have those kind of old-style puzzles that I really appreciate. Um, kind of the first hint of that you see in the game is like you come across this cryostasis pod with a, a control panel on it and then there's a room nearby where you find like a, a kind of diagram of the answer and it's just those little interactions about like scouring the environment for clues and piecing together where they fit like that's obviously a very simple example but i think it points to the kind of game that it is where it it is that kind of Resident Evil style of like finding these bizarre, you know, lock mechanisms and and using them to progress through. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I just it's just it's it's a very striking game. Uh, one thing that I really liked about the the little bit that I've played so far is the the sort of presentation of you know for the most part it's kind of a it's a top down game where you're you're controlling you know, your little character from, from that third person perspective, but there are, uh, occasional points where you turn into a first person perspective, uh, and it becomes almost like a sort of point and click adventure style interface where you're clicking around the screen. And if you click certain things, it'll give you more information or you can find like items and stuff that way. Uh, and I, I always really like when games do that, like kind of break up the perspective or, change the sort of graphical style a bit I, I just think it's a really it always kind of puts me on edge and and makes me pay attention and and yeah the stories so far i have no idea what is going on but it seems fascinating like within the first 15 minutes of playing the game there is this weird sort of fake out almost or a time skip or dream or something that i'm sure i won't figure out what it means for a very long time but it does a great job of kind of announcing itself as uh, what looks like kind of a traditional sci-fi horror game and then very quickly starts feeding in these other elements of, I'm not, you know, I don't really want to get too much into it, but these other elements of maybe different types of horror, maybe tricks that might be happening with how the narrative is delivered. Uh, and I think maybe that's something that horror in general sort of lends itself to. Like if it, the whole exercise is to make you uneasy, these are all good tricks that sort of throw you out of your comfort zone. Um, I'm wondering how this landed for you. And like, do those, you know, obviously like don't say, you know, without spoiling anything you don't want to, but. So the ending is, uh, <laughs> well, so it's, it's really interesting because the, the, t the developers who is, they're a two person team called Rose Engine. Um, they build a game as they call it a dream about dreaming. So it's mm. very like unnatural in a way, the way that the story is presented, it does feel a little bit disjointed and how there are so many different kind of perspectives thrown in sometimes. They, they really do go into this like weird story that pulls on a lot of like, you know, like 
hot names of like storytelling like it's lynchian and it's also very inspired by like neon genesis evangelion um especially towards the end i think that it does something that is difficult to do where it tells you just enough that you get an idea of what's happening but then you can kind of decide a lot of what you think those things mean and it it leaves a lot open but it manages to make that work and i think that's one of the things that lends itself to how they presented the game as like a traditional ps1 style horror because it it really falls into this trend that's been happening lately in the indie scene of looking back at PlayStation 1 horror games and being like, beyond individual games, there's something about the hardware of the PlayStation 1 and the way it made games look that is itself terrifying and like <laughs> horrific that lends itself to this unnatural feeling. Like, it, the way no face can be clear because of the low poly or the way that character models kind of like jitter it it feels like playing a nightmare which works so well for horror games yeah i mean that's like famously the uh silent hills like ever-present fog is to a large extent due to like the technical limitations of the hardware it was running on and there is something about that like the the technical limitations obscuring things whether it's through fog or through just like sort of low-res graphics that you are always kind of trying to pick out clues and like figure out what it is exactly that you're looking at and i think that's a really savvy thing to play on if you're a a horror game designer yeah it's oh it's very interesting because um signalis has come out at this perfect time at least for me, as someone who really likes this classic survival horror, because, you know, bigger publishers like Konami and Capcom are kind of positioning this as, like, the time that classic survival horror is returning with, like, Resident Evil 4 and Silent Hill 2. But games like Signalis are actually doing something that really pushes the PlayStation 1 era of horror forward in a way where they're 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 taking a lot of mechanical ideas like item scarcity and inventory management and limitations of graphics to explore how that impacts horror whereas larger companies who have a bunch of money are remaking the games and they're like let's make it really really pretty let's make it look real um, yeah. namely with the Silent Hill 2 remake. And it is that thing you bring up of the fog, which is like the iconic Silent Hill feature. The fog is so obstructive because they literally were like, if we put frog, fog in front of the player, then we don't, we're not going to like push the hardware a bunch. And there is something to be said of how the te technical limitations did improve the atmosphere in the story. And now those same games might not read the same with those limitations taken away. It, it feels like a hard thing to balance of do we replicate, how much of these conditions do we replicate? Because then you're kind of getting into what exactly is the core of a game like Silent Hill 2. 
But I think if your starting point is make it look more realistic, that seems like a bad place to, to begin. So I mentioned this earlier. One of the, in my memory at least, one of the remakes that first got a lot of attention to the idea of remaking classic games was the Resident Evil 2 remake, which is this really astounding remake where they completely built the game from like scratch. They made it modern, like over-the-shoulder action kind of style shooting gameplay, and they made it absolutely gorgeous, and it looks super real. Mm-hmm. But there's something about it that made it succeed. And in my opinion, beyond just looking better and sort of being more palatable to a modern audience, um, it feels like the team that made Resident Evil 2 Remake were really looking at the original and asking questions about why it succeeded and what made that game good as a horror game. And they tried to improve on that and build on that or subvert things. And one of the keys ways they did that was they really expanded the police station and what it felt like to be in this all at once, like expansive, but also constricting singular environment that you're essentially trapped in. And they they ramped up the horror by adding uh, Mr. X and making him like an ever persistent AI enemy who could literally follow you around the police station and just bust through doors like at any time. And it really put into the player this terrifying feeling that felt like they managed to bridge the gap between the original and a modern sensibility while keeping what was good about the original. And the worry is that like some remakes don't really do that and have other priorities about like presentation over play. I'm thinking of, this makes me think of the Shadow of the Colossus HD remake, mm-hmm. where bring into HD, I think a lot of people were unhappy with the direction that that took the sort of the visual presentation of it. Like Shadow of the Colossus, certainly not to the extent that Silent Hill did, or even close to it. You know, it didn't rely on its sort of low poly style or whatever to that extent, but there was something kind of dreamlike and ethereal about it. So yeah, I know people were upset about that. I feel like Silent Hill though is such a f- further step. I don't know. I'm curious, like, what they're going to do, or I guess if they're going to do anything on the level of the Resident Evil 2 remake of like, okay, well, we can afford to get rid of this iconic look because we figured out the actual core of the game is this extra other secret thing. I don't know. Like, as much as I'm not like a fan of the game itself, I you know, you kind of have to respect its its sort of cultural position, if nothing else. So I, I would be I would be sad to see that go away or to see this remake kind of not engage with what made the original so so special. Silent Hill 2 doesn't have a good track record with being updated already. Yeah. Because they did an HD remaster of Silent Hill 2, and one of the biggest criticisms that that received 
was that they changed the fog and they made it like more, you know, you could like see past it more. They also changed a lot of like voice and acting, like voice acting in the game that took away this unnatural feeling. And generally most of the updates that they did do with the HD remaster felt antithetical to the purpose of the game. So it's like they're already kind of like getting off on the wrong foot as far as track record. It is weird that it looks like they're just kind of doing that again. (laughs) Like, is that is that your read on this, too? It it really is. I think I think it brings up a couple issues where first, I think the real thing that they that Konami should do is they need to just make Silent Hill 2 accessible to modern audiences beyond a remake because the game is like impossible to play (laughs) on modern hardware Mm -hmm. it's not available by by hiding the original and then forcing people into like having to get this remake to experience it it it's not a great look in my opinion um and then also they there was this big like developer post when they announced the remake where they talked about all these like upgrades that they were making and they were like, oh, we're making it so pretty and it's going to be gameplay is going to be so much smoother. Don't worry. Um, and then one of the things they said is they were like, there's going to be it's going to be a seamless world. It's going to be a seamless experience. There's going to be like no loading zones or anything much in the style of like God of War 2018. Yeah. It feels like an artistic decision that is just trying to chase a trend and doesn't really have a place in Silent Hill 2 itself, because it also kind of implies that the world is going to have to be easier to navigate and the player will be able to have to see more. And they they even like posted some screenshots and like the fog ba- barely even seems like it's there in my opinion. Yeah. So it it does seem weird. It, it is a question of like, the fog is like essential to Silent Hill for a reason and what what are you doing by taking that away? Yeah, I mean, I I don't know. I kind of find the recent trend of marketing your game by saying, oh, it's there's no cuts. It's one seamless shot from end to end. I find that really tiresome and annoying in like the best of cases. But particularly in a game like this, I think the effect of removing those loading screens and making it this seamless experience is to make it feel more realistic and put you more in the shoes of a character or in their headspace in some small way. But I think that's exactly what you don't want to do with a game like Silent Hill because the whole appeal is this, like you're saying, this unnatural feeling and this sort of dreamlike environment that you're stuck in where those load screens, they were another sort of technical necessity that maybe even at the time were seen as some kind of hindrance to, to the experience, but they do make this, they do create this feeling of, of unrealness, of separating you from the environment. You know, you don't just walk out the door and go into the street, you open a door and then enter this sort of liminal space. And then the street sort of appears around you. Like that's not an intentional effect that's being, you know, put on the game, but it does have an effect on the player of making them taking them sort of out of the reality of it. So it just I don't know, maybe even more than removing the fog, like that kind of 
continuity just seems really i mean far be it for me to like say what they <laughs> people who do this as a, a profession should be doing but it just for me i i struggle to see how that's improving the game in a meaningful way it's really interesting because at the same time as the silent hill 2 remake um the dead space remake is also happening mm-hmm. and one of the things that has become like a big point of marketing for the dead space remake is also that they're like it's going to be a seamless world and you're going to be able to like walk around the entire, you know, Ishimura yeah. without like having to cut or anything. Um, and I weirdly feel better about that. I have. Like, it, it doesn't bump me as much in Dead Space. Okay. Inter- I, I want to hear that then. So it's an interesting thing where video games and horror both share this element that immersion typically adds to the experience Mm -hmm. like a video game is about immersion it's about you are the player and you make these choices so you are you know partaking in the action horror is it works better when you feel immersed because then you feel like there's stakes for you you feel like you're threatened so the idea of you know no cuts and being immersed in something like dead space could work and like there is an argument that that works because then you're you're in it the whole time and it's it's visceral um but some of the great moments in the original dead space have to do with good use of camera work and storytelling through the camera and there are moments in the original dead space where they communicate terror by letting the player know about danger before Isaac does. Mm -hmm. And it's like this, it's like the Chekhov's gun situation of there will be a moment where the camera is in a different place than Isaac is. And you see this threat, you see something happening. And then Isaac just continues unaware. So you as the player, you are Mm -hmm. primed to be like, something is coming because the game showed me and it's just a matter of time and now i have to expect that but like in the story isaac is unaware of that so it's about communicating information to the player versus the character and those don't always have to be the same thing which is something that i do like about the original dead space there is the possibility that it could make it it could do the effect that they're wanting it to do which will make it more immersive and scary in its own way yeah i didn't even actually think about the effect on camera angles like you know, that's a very like central thing like if if you are going for one continuous shot that does necessarily change where you place the camera but it, yeah it didn't occur to me that that would that would be an effect of that also because i didn't finish the original dead space so i probably didn't see those moments <laughs> um yeah i don't know the reason why it seems less you know, disruptive or whatever to me is like dead space is feels to me like it wants to convey the idea that you are trapped on this ship. And by making it this one continuous kind of scene, I feel like that kind of builds the sense of space. So you have a better sense of what the ship is like and what it's like to move through it, which I feel like could increase the amount that you feel like you are trapped in a in an enclosed space. Whereas Silent Hill is an unfamiliar space it is in some ways not even necessarily literal so those weird transitions kind of 
bump you out of reality. I think being in the reality of the ship of Dead Space makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but yeah, that's an interesting take. I didn't, I didn't think about that. And I think you're, yeah, I wonder how they'll handle that. Like if they'll try to achieve that effect in another way or, you know, change, uh, maybe change the story around it to, to make those moments into something that Isaac experiences. I don't I, That's, I don't know. That'll be interesting to see. But again, there is the potential, but it, it is interesting to parse mm-hmm. it like, it's kind of the same creative decision for two different games. And there, it is interesting why like it does seem less good for Silent Hill 2 and <laughs> maybe more good for Dead Space. Um, in a way, talking about like horror games, one of the games that I've actually been thinking a lot about as a horror game is Gone Home. Interesting. Have you, have you played Gone Home ever? Yeah, yeah, I have. So... I think this might just be because of like my experience with playing Gone Home. Honestly, if you play Gone Home, it can it can feel like a Resident Evil game just without zombies. <laughs> and hear me out on this. I know I'm I'm hearing I'm very interested to hear you. <laughs> because you you show up to like your house and you're told you're returning to your house and it's the middle of the night and the first thing that happens is that you get to the front door and it's locked and nobody's there and you don't know what's up and you have to like pick up items and figure out where the like house key is and then you get into the house and like all the lights are off and it's really spooky and the entire story progresses just like Resident Evil by being presented with locked doors and puzzles and you just have to progress room by room. Um, there are no zombies, but it's, it's the same sense of tension. And when I first played Gone Home, the entire time, I was worried that there was going to be like a jump scare or there was going to be something that popped out. Yeah, I definitely felt that same thing. Like it, it does, it does have the atmosphere of something that's about to turn very dark. And I mean, the game even plays with you for this because like they know that it's, that this is what you're thinking because there are moments where they pull like jump scares um just to like mess with you like there's a moment where you find like a hidden staircase and you have to go down it and there's just like one little flickering light bulb and you're walking down it and then like a, a like a lightning bolt happens and you just hear the thunder and the like light bulb like just shatters and it's this like really abrasive moment. And I just remember, like, I remember like having to sit down for a couple minutes to be like, let my heart like c- calm down because this <laughs> it was like kind of scary. And I was like, is this like, is this game fucking with me or am I safe the whole time? Like, I don't, I can't tell. Yeah, that is interesting. No, they even give you a turn on all the lights mode. Like when you finish it, you can like play the game again and just, have it so that the lights are on so that you're not as scared oh really i didn't realize that yeah that's so funny yeah i don't know that feels like actually a really effective way of doing horror is like not telling people that it's horror which almost feels like an unethical science experiment or something (laughs) yeah i mean i definitely i definitely feel you on the idea of it's it's inherent creepiness like it's very much playing with that vibe of like you are trying to find 
what's going on. You're just not being pursued. You know, you're being followed by emotional zombies as opposed to actual physical ones. Even more terrifying. Uh, yeah, truly. But I think it just, it like shows in a weird way, Gone Home is like a great example of why horror games like Resident Evil work so well is because it's it's more about the atmosphere. It mm. is this like idea that what makes horror is the anticipation and the tension rather than the actual like scare. Yeah, that's really interesting. Like taking the same kind of formula for creating tension, but using it not for like you're in fear of your life, but you're afraid of, you're almost kind of afraid to find out what happened because it does seem like such a, I don't know, something catastrophic may have occurred here. I guess it's just, you know, these games that give you spaces and these like spaces feel like haunted in themselves and they have some kind of story. The same, it's like the same for Signalis or Mm -hmm. Silent Hill or the original Resident Evils. Part of part of the story that you're uncovering is like the story of what happened to this place and the people in it and how that played out and what kind of terror lies in it. Yeah. It's funny. That is such a catchy premise. Like there, I don't know. There's a point early on in Signalis I was playing this morning where you literally like you examine a body or something and it's like, what happened here? And I'm like, yeah, I, I want to find out what happened here. <laughs> it's funny. Yeah. You can just put someone in a place that has been ruined and our natural inclination is like, not how do we get out of here? It's like, I wonder what happened to make this place ruined. I would like to go closer to the heart of it. I mean, that's why like, I find myself playing horror games mm-hmm. is because they do a, an effective job at like hooking me in with a mystery and I, I put myself through the pain of having to deal with the horror um, in order to uncover these stories. How how far into Signalis have you gotten, like, uh, time-wise? Not, not very far, like an hour. To give a sort of vague description of it, like, you start out in this crashed spaceship. So I went, you know, there's a short kind of intro thing that seems basically like it's just teaching you how the game works and how to do puzzles. You very quickly... Go out, go to check what's outside the spaceship, and then once um, you sort of investigate the outside of the spaceship, there is a late title card, which we discussed last week, always being one of my favorite things. I was yeah. very thrilled with this one in particular. is a very good late title card. And when that kind of title sequence ends, you come back into the game in a different space, and I basically just explored a small amount of that beef nothing really happened in that space i was just kind of poking around and trying to figure out where i was basically yeah so like there have been like really no major story beats just some very very effective like tone setting sequences and i will say like overall it's a fairly short game it's Mm -hmm. about seven and a half hours i think was my like active playtime upon fully completing the game Mm mm-hmm I, I think it's worth putting in the time. Yeah, no, it, it sounds worth the time. Like, I, I really do want to... It's 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 less um, desire than willpower that will, that will keep me from finishing it if I don't finish it, because it does seem really fascinating. Yeah, one of the things I also like that it does, and we talked about this last episode, is any game that 
tells me that I should be taking physical dotes Ooh, yeah. is like immediately I'm in love with it. Signalis does this and it does it in a great way where like most of the information, well, I think like the entirety of the information that you're given in Signalis is all like diegetic. It like takes, it's like on posters or like documents and it's like, remember, you know, replica units should take down information because you never know when it might come in handy or like yeah. stuff like this. And I was like, oh, oh yeah, fuck yeah. I need a notebook. <laughs> like, hell yeah, I'm in. You're going to make me do homework? Yeah. <laughs> and literally I just have, what I ended up doing, because you take a lot of, you you pick up a lot of documents with like hints about puzzles or stuff, is I just have like so many pictures in my phone that are just <laughs> pictures of my computer screen um, of different like Signalis documents or puzzles so that I could just be referencing them at all times. Yeah, that's something that I always fall for is if like the the things I need to do to figure out your puzzles are diegetic, I'm just like, yes, make me work for this. I, I love it. Like there's not a journal where it's just like the code is six, seven, eight or whatever. It's just like it shows you it and it's up to you to, to actually remember it. I, that's just always works on me. Even even though I don't really call myself a horror fan, mm-hmm. I guess I am. <laughs> You've just I guess been I lying. Like these games. You actually are a horror fan. <laughs> I know. I feel like I should like just say it. I am. Although I guess I I don't know. I'm not a horror fan. I'm an atmospheric puzzle fan. <laughs> so I'm I'm kind of like into the to the return of these like horror experiences. And I do hope more of them come, but I, I w- yeah. would like, I want more games like Signalis more than I want games like a Silent Hill 2 remake. Right. I think that's an interesting perspective to look at this kind of renaissance from, because it makes me really curious what type of horror they're going to bring back and like what tools they're going to use to make you feel that way. And if it's going to be more of that kind of old school style or if they're just sort of trading on kind of brand recognition or nostalgia but they're not actually replicating what made those games good i feel like it could be either like a very good time or a very annoying time to be someone in your position where you're like i actually like this very specific thing when it's done this way but it's just kind of like horror has drifted away from that in the past couple of decades yeah i guess the question is then for like, you know, bigger companies, it is how then do you instill like this, the essence of horror into like new games? If you're not do, if you're not like focusing on the limitations that came from the earlier generation, what's, what's next for horror? That's what I want to know. Yeah, that's interesting. I would, I would like to enjoy horror, (laughs) you know, I don't know. I hope it gets to a place where I feel I feel like the the harmful effects of Five Nights at Freddy's will will be felt for a long time to come still, where horror is just like jump scares and creepy images, and it's just mm-hmm. none of the like psychological aspects, none of the atmosphere, just like here's a shot of adrenaline every 45 seconds. Yeah, which is not the thing for me, I guess. No, I literally get lightheaded <laughs> after too many jump scares. Do you enjoy horror movies? Or like, what's your relationship with horror movies? I don't really like horror movies overall. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned it before, but 
Alien, I think, is the exception. Yeah. Because I do love Alien. It's, like, one of my favorite movies, actually. Yeah, same. Um, but I don't, like, go see horror movies. They scare me a lot. I, <laughs> yeah. I have such a bad time seeing them. Because I feel like a lot of horror movies are focused on the jump scare and the adre- adrenaline. And I just can't do that. I, I hate it. And then I stay up at night. <laughs> then I can't sleep. Yeah, my old roommate was extremely into horror. She would watch a ton of horror movies. And, you know, she would invite me to, you know, watch them with her. But she would also sometimes just text me and be like, hey, I'm watching a horror movie tonight. So just so you know, when you come home, don't look at the TV. Because <laughs> I know it's going to freak you out too much. I mean, I still, even with games like Signalis or other horror games that I do end up playing, I have to be very strategic about when I play them. Like, I can't yeah. play them too late or else I will be very uncomfortable and I have to give myself like enough time to play the game and then have a buffer where I can like get it out of my head until until it's sleep time yeah that that's also sort of I have a problem where I can only play them in very short bursts so I need to have like one hour where I can play them at a time and just string enough of those together to finish it because after a while they just yeah, something like my, I don't know, maybe I need to exercise more and raising my heart rate that much just wears me out very quickly. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I have a frustration with horror sometimes where all the things that you're mentioning about that kind of uncovering the mystery and being lost in the atmosphere of it, that all sounds very attractive to me. But then somehow when I actually am in that situation, it's just kind of unbearable for me. I Sometimes I'm like, I have to... I do sometimes find myself when I was playing Signalis trying to like desensitize myself because (laughs) every time you like pass by an enemy, the music will like change into this Mm -hmm. like really scary, like heart racing tune. And I was like, if I can just run around the enemy and just ignore them and just run through a door because they won't follow you. I was like, I can get through that door and then the music will stop and then I'll be fine. (laughs) (laughs) and then I won't have to think about it again until I have to go back the same way. Yeah, it's just like your own little version of exposure therapy. Exactly. Just stay close to the enemies, but don't ever let them touch you. (laughs) Okay, but not everything we've enjoyed this week has been to do with horror. So, Willa, what else have you been playing or watching or reading or, I don't know, experiencing that you've, you've been enjoying this week? Yeah, so... As I've been playing Signalis, I I have been regretfully playing it at night sometimes, <laughs> and then I haven't been sleeping well, so I've been reading. And I I love manga. I love reading a bunch of manga, and I am a sucker for Yuri manga, which is girl love manga. It's gay <laughs> shit. It's awesome. It's like all I read. It's I was just about to say it's the only kind of manga I ever read. It's the only manga you need to read. (laughs) And I recently started reading this manga called Yuri is My Job. And the like pitch on this is that there's this girl and she she's like starting a new school and she ends up running into this girl and breaking her arm. Oh no. And the girl's like, oh no, like whatever. This isn't the biggest deal. The one problem is I can't work. So you're going to have to take over for me. And they go to her job and her job is at a cafe and it is a Yuri themed cafe. 
where the cafe is basically like it's based on like really classic like 90s yuri anime and manga and so all the workers have to like dress up and like all girls school like uh, uniforms and they have to like pretend to be like acting out plots of like (laughs) girl love manga and so this this girl who has to end up taking this job she has to like start pretending to do this and she's like doing terribly at it but there's this one girl there who has to like mentor her basically and the first time she meets her the main character is like she's so pretty she's so nice i love her this is so great and then they like finish their shift and the girl is like suddenly turns and is like super mean to the main character is like you were you were like fucking up everything at the job you said everything wrong like i can't believe in messing up and it's and so it's basically like an enemies to lovers trope which i love and it's just so funny and for someone who like reads a lot of like yuri manga it's super meta and like it's like in on the joke about like making fun of like the genre Mm -hmm. um and I enjoy it a lot. There are currently nine volumes. I I started reading it like five days ago, and I am on the fifth volume. <laughs> Incredible. What about you? What have you been up to? Um, well, I'm probably going to start reading this manga. That sounds great. Uh, I unfortunately have not really dragged myself away from playing video games all week. Uh, We're getting kind of closer to the end of the year where it's time to start thinking about like favorite games of the year and and things like that. So I've been trying to play through some of the things that I skipped or just didn't have time for earlier in the year. So I'm kind of bouncing between a few different things. But the one thing that that I have been sort of captivated with recently is uh, Kirby and the Forgotten Land. Have you did you play this when it came out or more recently? I did not play it when it came out. I got a code and it is sitting on my Switch and I just okay. have not played it because like it's the same thing where I'm like I have so many things to play right now yeah. and it's just working through my list in whatever order I decide and I have not have not gotten around to it, but I've heard good things. Yeah, a lot of things on my list are kind of a little bit heavier lifts, like a lot of things that are kind of more narrative or are going to require you know, more more of my concentration or something. But I've been a fan. I've always really loved the Kirby games. I haven't played all of them. I probably haven't even played most of them. But the first Kirby game for the NES was like one of my favorite games on that console. Um, so I've always really had like a soft spot for the series. Uh, and this game is like, it feels like that game translated into 3D, where it's just these kind of like bright, colorful environments. Like it's very simple like it's it's not a difficult game in terms of challenge and it's also not a complicated game where there's like a lot going on like you basically only need two buttons you know it's the same concept as every kirby game where you can kind of like suck up enemies and steal their powers and use them to fight other enemies and go through these like very simplistic like puzzle platforming levels where every you can kind of see everything you need to do as soon as you step into any given level um, and the fun of it is just kind of like, it almost feels like a like a theme park or something where you just kind of go through the steps that are laid out before you, and there's just enough surprises to make you um, kind of appreciate, th- like when you go off the, the 
the marked path, even that feels like you're being directed to do so and just kind of, you know, delivers you the, the serotonin burst of figuring things out. So it's been like a perfect sort of decompressing game where if I just don't really want much challenge, but just want to do something that will be fun and relaxing and, and kind of like childlike, you know, joy sort of way, it's very easy to just pick up and put down. So it's, yeah, I don't know. It's just been like a really nice palate cleanser because, you know, I've mostly I've still just been playing Final Fantasy 14 like I always do. <laughs> but this is a nice thing to be like, no, it's it gets fun. It's exciting. It's bright. It's it's just like very cheerful. Um, and it's, yeah, especially right now when I'm trying to work through kind of heavier stuff uh, and things that I want to like think about more critically, this is one that I can just sort of pick up and put down in a very easy way and just sort of turn my brain off and enjoy it. So if that's something that appeals to you, maybe decompressing after playing Signalis, I, I definitely recommend it. Yeah, I've been playing a, a, several games for like, you know, work lately mm-hmm. where I definitely have been getting tired and I'm like, I could use yeah. something else. So maybe Kirby is the answer. Yeah. Have you played much of this series? Uh no, I don't think. Okay. I think my only familiarity with Kirby is in Smash Brothers and <laughs> that video that went around recently of the Kirby voice actor. That was adorable. Those are both good entry points. Um, yeah, I don't know. They're they're just they're all kind of the same. They're well, they're not. They've done weird stuff. Like there was like a Kirby golf game, and there's like racing games and stuff. But the sort of core platforming games are just all very. I think of them as like iconic platforming games where they don't really do anything too spectacularly different, but they're just like very approachable and very solid and just kind of get to the core of what makes these games fun, if not challenging. It's yeah, there's there's a bit of just enjoying them for their simplicity that I that I really appreciate. Yeah, I and this one this one also has mouthful mode, right? And this one also has mouthful mode, which is <laughs> I know that. A, troubling phrase but uh a pretty fun game play mechanic well i mean it sounds like we're both uh have our hands full with everything that we've been playing and stuff so it's it's nice that we both have these these uh you know manga and games that we can like use to chill out a bit although i think something we it sounds like we're probably both looking forward to in the next week is getting into the next citizen sleeper episode um just wanted to shout out how good that is. Uh, if anyone like somehow missed the memo on it, uh, there's the second of three sort of DLC episodes for Citizen Sleeper, which I believe is one of both of our favorite games of the year. Yeah, uh, I came it's, out. It's so far like my game of the year. Still, I love it. Yeah, dearly. It would. It's honestly fighting with Stephanie for mine. Yeah, I don't know. It's it. It'll be it'll be a tough fight in my brain at the end of the year to figure out if if Stephanie or Citizen Sleeper is the, the game that actually stuck in my brain the most this year because they're both games that I have they're both games that I have thought about literally every day since playing them at the beginning of this year. All the games that really stood out to me have to do with semi-science fiction worlds with anti-capitalist uh, messages and the question of what is a what makes a person. So yeah, Citizen weird. Sleeper, Hard Space Shipbreaker and kind of Signalis. Uh-huh. Weird how that keeps coming up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, when you mentioned actually your the replica is a human consciousness in a robot body, my brain immediately went citizen sleeper. Exactly. 
But I think uh, that's it for us this week. Uh, Thanks for listening. And if you want, you can follow us on socials. I'm on Twitter at The Willow Row. And I'm at Robin B. No, I'm not. (laughs) God damn it. That's my fucking name. (sighs) That's staying in. Okay, great. I'm at Robin Bombas. You can find the podcast at girlmode underscore pod on Twitter and at girlmode dash pod on co-host. You can also find us everywhere podcasts are available. Uh, But yeah, thanks for listening and uh, have a good rest of your day. Have a good day. (laughs)